to another episode of the Niagara Moon Podcast. As always, I'm Thomas Irwin. Uh, I'm the captain of the ship, so to speak, and I'm very excited to share with you this week's episode. It's longer than usual. Uh, I didn't know I would talk this much. I, I had more Bowie trivia floating around my brain than I, I guess I realized, but uh, myself along with patron Joe and uh, the one and only Dan Barracuda, we had a pretty good time. And I don't want to take much more of your time to get into it. I just want to mention that uh, if you're a Niagara Moon fan, right, you, you enjoy all the albums, maybe you'd like to know a little more of the lore behind, uh, behind all that, I'm announcing the quest for the sound. At the time of this podcast release, there's just about a week left. If you're not in there yet, I highly encourage you to sign up. It's a virtual storybook taking you through the whole Niagara Moon journey. Uh, along the way, you get all this cool multimedia content. Multa, multimedia. <laughs> You'd love it, really, if you're a Moondog. If you're not, it uh, might be a bit much, but uh, that's going on. Sign up for that if you want to get the ultimate Niagara Moon experience. Anyway, we're going to talk David Bowie, Young Americans. Here we go. All right, we're here for another episode of the Niagara Moon Podcast. I'm here with the Pod Squad. Pod Squad. Uh, yeah. Got two <laughs> lovely folks here today. Uh, say hello, Dan Barracuda. Hello, 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 hello. And then we got Joe. Hey, everyone. And I'm very excited about this episode. Uh, we're talking Young Americans by David Bowie. Who doesn't know David Bowie? And this is, uh, this is a weird album. <laughs> I think, but uh, I guess I want to just kick it off here by getting a sense of what everybody's uh, experience with David Bowie is, uh, if you're a fan or what you like, what you know, uh, how you got into him, and I don't know, we'll just kick it off from there. Yo, Joe, you take this one. Okay. <laughs> well, um, before before we actually started recording, I showed you both that my first vinyl that I ever owned, and you know, if you've heard an episode with me before, you know I have a ton of vinyl. Um, one of my yeah. first vinyls that I, my first actual vinyl was Ziggy Stardust uh, and the Rise and Fall of the Spiders from Mars. Um, so I'm a big Bowie fan. I would say he's in my main big three, which right now, main big three, big three, which wow. consists of uh, wow. Pink Floyd, The Who, and David Bowie. Um, okay. And Whoa. <laughs> that was my that was my bread and butter growing up. Uh, so I got real into Bowie about with Ziggy. Then I explore the albums near it, like Aladdin Sane, Diamond Dogs. Uh, yeah. touched back a moment for Space Oddity. Um, and I kind of lived there for a while. Um, I just, at the time, because I was also very into Elton, I was very into that whole glam look, so that kind of spoke to me. Yeah. Um, and later on, I would go to discover some of his other works in the future, like uh, um, Let's Dance, and then even further on to some of his, at the time, more modern ones like Reality, so... That's when I kind of got a, a, a an appreciation for his ability to shift between genres, which is something we'll definitely be talking oh, yeah. about today, um, mm -hmm. which is so intriguing about him, uh, and and one of the main things that I love about him. So, uh, yeah. his trademark, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and I just know him. I don't know him like that well, <laughs> but I've always like liked him from a distance. Like I love. You know, under pressure. I loved uh, Ground mm -hmm. Control, the Major Tom. Major I love, Tom. I love yeah. him in Zoolander. I thought he was like incredible. <laughs> He's in, in Zoolander. Zoolander. He is in Zoolander. Oh yeah, it's a walk off. It's a walk off, and they like play beat it, and it, oh, he's he's the judge of the walk off. Ben Stiller. <laughs> now I see that. Oh, it's so good, and like I, I've always like liked him Fashion. a lot <laughs> from a distance, and I've always loved Fame, and I was uh, pleasantly, yeah. I was happy to see that uh, Fame was in this album. I was like, all right, sweet. And, um, yeah, but I always thought he was, I know he got like disco-y a little bit, like in the eighties, you know, let's dance and everything. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I always thought he was kind of like a, like a proggy kind of guy, like in ground control, the major, right? Yeah. The space oddity. And then yeah, that's, that's why this roots. album was surprising. It was like R and B soulful gospel. I was like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. Perfect for fame though. It, like led right up to fame at the end of the album. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. 
Yeah, man, there's, there's so much I, I have to say and to get into, but, uh, for me, uh, I, I got into Bowie at the same time. I got into a ton of other artists, uh, when I was just bored in middle school and kept borrowing CDs from the library because that way you don't have to pay for anything. Yeah. And, uh, it started with, uh, greatest hits and right away from the greatest hits of Bowie, maybe it was like changes Bowie or whatever the compilation's called. It's like, Oh, this guy doesn't have like one sound. His whole thing is he'll just completely change it up uh, year to year almost, which is, I mean, that's one of his, that's his trademark. Like that's one of his defining features is he can kind of adapt and kind of fit any new sort of musical situation. People call him a chameleon. So I, and then, you know, besides that, he's, he's a great writer, vocal performer, interesting lyricist. Uh, so I picked up on all that pretty quickly and uh, definitely would consider myself a fan. I, I go all the way from Space Oddity up until like Let's Dance. And then um, I, I'm not really familiar with this more modern stuff. I know it, it has its fans, but uh, I tend to the, the sweet spot of that like whatever 14 year period that's that's my uh that's yeah. where i hone in and um i picked young Amer so we were talking about doing something for bowie and I, I picked young americans because i feel like it's even though it's not my favorite album of his i feel like it's the first and almost like clearest example of what he really is about as an artist in terms of just he he doesn't live inside a certain sound or a certain genre. Uh, he he moves from scene to scene. He's I mean, there's a reason the guy's in movies and has a very compelling stage and screen presence and act. He's he's like he's half actor, and and I don't say that to detract from the quality of his his music and his his musical talent, but he has an actor's sensibility and a performer's sensibility, and. So this album, Young Americans, it's I kind of feel like, all right, he's the actor, he's the lead. And going into a movie, that's always a collaborative process, right? Like the actor doesn't write the script. The actor doesn't direct the movie. You find other people to work with and you make something together. So this is like, oh, for my next project, you know, I'm going to go into soul music. That's that's where my, my heart and mind is. Yeah. And I'm just blaze right on ahead like you can't pin me down this this is where i am now right. and and then there's other examples of that in the future with with his catalog and he, he does all these kind of 180s but this is i feel like this is where you really start to see just how uh dramatic it can be mm -hmm. so i thought it'd be wow. interesting to talk about what's his a uh, secondary instrument like what, what is he like i've never seen him play piano i've never seen him holding guitar like where does how does he write songs uh He's a piano player and a guitarist. I think he's more competent on the piano and, and has written more songs on the piano. Um, he also plays saxophone. He kind of dabbles in that. Um, I don't think his sax playing shows up on this album. Mm -hmm. but uh, <laughs> That'd be so impressive because the saxophone yeah. on this album is incredible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's, he's an okay saxophone player. He, he plays on... Um, the Iggy Pop album, The Idiot. I, I think he plays. I don't know if uh, if you know Joe. If he plays on like low and stuff like that. I'm not 100. percent I don't think he did a lot of it on the Berlin trilogy, but I would have to fact check that. Hmm. But I know he definitely at least helped with it, if not the actual musician on the on the record. You know, like he was yeah. competent enough to have a good hand in the arrangement. But yeah, so it's. It's kind of like he, he dabbles in a lot of different stuff, but his his really his main thing is his songwriting and his his lyrics and his vocals especially, and how uh, how much variety and kind of just yeah strange diversity he can he like he can just do a lot of different things with his own voice and kind of take on a lot of different personas. So it's like the musical nitty gritty. And like who's playing what where and this riff and how this fits like a lot of that is just he pulls together other talented people to kind of take on a lot of that for him and with him like you know he's he's busy being the the showman right so he lets a lot of other people like make this make musical decisions yeah I mean especially for this album 
Especially I wonder if there's like album. a music director he likes to work with or something like that. Tony Visconti is his okay. man. Uh, mm-hmm. Tony Visconti has produced not all, but like most of his albums, most of his classic albums. Uh, he's quoted as saying, at least about the the like early 1970 album, The Man Who Sold the World. Uh, he kind of hinted like, you know, I don't care what the credits say. Me and Mick Ronson, we wrote the damn thing. <laughs> and then Bowie would come in at the end and, and you know, sing a little on the top or... You know, so you know, you could maybe critique him on some level for not always being super active and a hundred percent like into that sort of like production decision making right. as much as another artist might be. But he uh, he he re- he has a very tight musical crew for any given project, and he works very closely with people, and it's a lot of collaboration, and I think it's a lot of openness, and um, and uh, it shows on the, the the quality of the songs. I have a wow. I have a number of like as well as people probably used to. I have a number of quotes now as well. Um, yeah, I've got a fun one on on related to that from uh, what's his first name? It's um, Carlos Alomar, the, the rhythm guitarist and yep. someone who would be with him for a while. Love Carlos Alomar. He's fantastic, fantastic musician. Um, this is a quote from him on the idea of David Bowie just kind of leaving them to their own devices and really just kind of letting them. A lot of this, apparently, a lot of this album was recorded in a live version, so, like, they would just all mm-hmm. do it on one take with everyone playing. Uh, there was a quote, I think, from Vis- Visconti that it's like, you get 85% live Bowie on this recording, which is kind of wild. Yeah. Um, but 85% one, what? Like, live Bowie, just... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the quote is... Real-time Bowie. Real-time. Uh, one of the, the quote is, Us musicians were left to our own devices... When you are the artist and you're lending yourself to a new platform, you certainly don't have the goods to be able to tell them what to do. If he got the sound of the sound of Philadelphia, what the hell is David Bowie going to tell them to play? He couldn't tell them Jack, yeah. okay? If you want to get someplace, you have to be cur- curious and courageous. You cannot try to control something if you don't know what it is. Otherwise, you could stay a spider from yeah. Mars. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're starting to get to the heart of it already. Uh, now, Joe, you got to quote all that in a thick Brooklyn accent right. next time, you know, <laughs> Tony Visconti and all. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, so, did anybody else kind of make the connection between this album and Graceland by Paul Simon? Huh. The gospel, the gospelness of it, like, yeah, the, the, yeah, that part of it, like the backing vocals and like the call and response stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, to me, it's, it's maybe one of the first examples of you have a guy, you know, a white dude from the the pop rock world coming in to, uh, you know, what we think of as black music and being mm-hmm. like, I love this, this inspires me, and this is what I want my next, next project to be, and I want to do this in a way that's, you know, that's going to rock and, and be great and also, like, uh, respectful and, and reverent and it's 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 somebody coming into a genre of music that you know one might assume they don't really have any business entering but then like making it work and and making it work for their own uh artistry and it yeah. made me think of what Paul Simon did when he's uh connecting with like musicians in South Africa, South Africa and Africa, you know yeah. going in a totally new direction that way and what always blew my mind about the the backing vocals on this was that Luther Vandross helped him with, with was in the backing arranging vocals. Yeah. Um, and apparently, one of his songs, uh, I don't know, I I'm woefully under knowledgeable on Luther Vandross himself, but uh, I read a I read I both an interview and a um, a video where apparently his song Funky Music was reworked into Fascination, which is interesting. There's a pretty wow. good track on there too. So I mean, and he apparently yeah. helped with a lot of the vocal arrangements in general throughout the album. So yeah, yeah. I uh, I was I got to see a little bit of uh, well, not a little bit. Just the video itself was not that long, but uh, on YouTube it's like David Bowie his Plastic Soul period, and it's this I guess like fan made little documentary about 15 minutes about this period, like 74 to 76. Uh, like Diamond Dogs up until Station to Station. So, of course, Young Americans is at the heart of that kind of plastic soul sound. And um, he, uh, I guess, allegedly was uh, in a relationship with Ava Cherry, the singer, Mm -hmm. who is one of the prominent, you know, quote-unquote backup singers of this album. 
he's working closely with her. He's working with Luther Vandross. There's fascinating footage of all of them in the studio. It's it's uh, like I think it's a trio of, of those singers and, and Bowie rehearsing the part of the song right where it like there's like a part where it's like hanging on that one chord for a while and they're like it's this back and forth like up there up there doing like the like the like doing it taking it listen now sometimes sometimes i I can i can barely relay it but that that whole part where it's just this crazy call and response for a while they're rehearsing that just in acapella and it sounds exactly like the recording like it's so you realize how tightly rehearsed all those wow. moments were and how tightly they were working together mm-hmm. to achieve that. And like, you know, Bowie's, despite how, you know, drugged up he might be, he's very studious. He's there with the paper, like intently listening. Was to he everybody. a big druggie? Yeah, especially this, right he, now. Okay, that's a whole other part of this album to get into. But it's, uh, it's, it calls, it goes back to that idea of he was a very dedicated collaborator. He took it super seriously. He was an excellent listener and he had an excellent eye and ear for talent and knew how to bring out the best talents of these of these other people and make them feel welcome and able to like collaborate with him and get everybody's ideas together like that's another super talent he uh displays even if it's you know if it's different than the typical like sing and play your guitar yeah um so what what i'm looking at his discography on spotify right now so yeah his first album is in 67 it's called david bowie how did that album do the debut terrible it's very interesting and quirky, but it's definitely like I don't know. It's yeah, it didn't it didn't go well. <laughs> um, Do you not like it that it's, well, you, both of you guys? Like, okay. Does anybody like yeah. it? Like the most devout Bowie fans might be like, "Oh, it's interesting," but exactly. he was in his teens. Like, I think of like the emergence of like a a, a cool, interesting David Bowie as the space mm-hmm. out of the album. Like that's that single is one of his best songs, and then I like that album as a whole. So what happened, man? In two years, he, uh, well, he just grew up and got better at the craft, but he didn't really become successful, and really he he didn't get any real stardom until Ziggy Stardust, and then that really catapulted him. Oh, it wasn't was Space no- Oddity. No, really. no, yeah, I mean that was kind of a one-hit wonder, but he was he was a nobody before Ziggy Stardust. Apparently, too, and I was looking into it because I, I read the fact that uh, Fame was his first number one in America. Um, and apparently yeah. I saw that Ziggy Stardust really only made it to number five, like, on the charts, which is kind of wild now. Like, I don't know, it's... Maybe it's just because I'm in my own microcosm, I see Ziggy Stardust as this legendary album, but... Uh, yeah, the fact that it only made it to number five, and then with Young Americans, he got his first number one, just kind of blows my mind. And yeah. apparently around the time Young Americans came out and fame hit number one, they re-released Space Oddity, which then sold like hotcakes because now people are on him from Young Americans. Yeah. It's so yeah. wild to look at it in retrospect where things were at the time versus where things are now, where things like Space Oddity and Ziggy and all that would be viewed with such revere, but it only really got into that level of prominence around now, which is, you know, wild. Yeah. I mean, same phenomenon with uh, pet sounds by the beach boys like that sold the worst of any of their stuff to date at the time and was considered kind of a a failure in the states but you know read rolling stone magazine now (laughs) if people kind of change their mind yeah it's so crazy wow so he had like a bunch of albums until ziggy like yeah it took him a while he paid his dues yeah he paid his dues all right yeah hunky dory how's hunky dory i love hunky dory yeah, that's one of but his it, best. But it just wasn't that big, and it wasn't that it, successful. It, well, it was successful after Iggy, uh, Iggy, not Iggy Pop. <laughs> Ziggy started. Ziggy Stardust got big, and then they like re-released Hunky Dory, and people yeah. flocked to that once they. Now, what, you know, what what made Ziggy Stardust so big? Like, what made the, it so big? The I, th- I I'm not a huge uh, Ziggy expert, and, and maybe Joe can weigh in more. But people really were blown away by the live show and how truly theatrical it was i like that was the one where david bowie so carefully like made this character in the story and this kind of like cinematic live show experience and that's what uh really shocked people yeah Um, and i think it all that really blew up there 
So, and also, it's just an amazing album. Yeah, so, like, that's the thing as far as, like, why I think Ziggy blew up so much. So, I, I saw something, and I forget because I was looking up a few articles just for the podcast, but they the way that they described it was that up until Young Americans, Bowie was following his nose. So, they were like, well, with Hunky Dory, for instance, he was riding the folk pop train, so... A lot of those tracks are kind of folk poppy. He's got um, yeah. Oh You Pretty Things. Um, Life on Mars was on that song, which is a really good song, but it's kind of got that air. One of my favorite of his. Mm-hmm. Before that, it was like space rock and stuff like that with, um, you know, Space Oddity. When Ziggy came around, he was hopping on, like you said, like the glam rock train. So you had people like Gabriel's Genesis um, and all of that coming into prominence. And he just happened to... T-Rex. Hit it, Yeah. He just happened to hit it. Was Roxy Music around that time, too? Uh, anyway. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, he just happened to hit it super well, like Thomas mentioned, as far as the whole stage production, the whole entire persona, bringing that air of mystery and intrigue and looking like an alien. And then he wrote that entire thing continually with the future ones, Aladdin Sane and uh, Diamond yeah. Dogs. Um, so he happened to... I mean, in the in his previous works, he was also hitting on... You know, the trends of the time being, like, spacey, being folk poppy. But he just happened to hit the gold mine with Ziggy and rode that for a while. Uh, and brought so he him. kept going for the next three albums for pinups and uh, Aladdin Sane, you said? Like, he uh, just kept the glam rock kind of androgynous, like, mm, alien-like look? Pretty much, yeah. So pinups is actually a full cover album, which is really interesting. Uh, yeah, I like pinups. Mm-hmm. Pinups is his, and we'll we'll probably get into this for the for the Young Americans album proper. But his how he does covers to me is so interesting. Like he change he doesn't change it a lot, but he definitely alters it enough to make it his own. So a lot of the yeah. covers on pinups are very interesting, and his cover of Across the Universe as well fits into that from Young Americans. But um, yeah, he he kept in that whole entire glam look. Uh, like you could even just look at the covers of all three. Uh, between pinups, uh, Stardust, Aladdin Sane, yeah, uh, and dogs. and uh, Diamond Dogs, and yeah, he he definitely hit hard on that. And then you have, of course have the complete one eighty as he would likely do, you know, would do again again and again later in his career to Young Americans. Where if you look at the cover of like Diamond Dogs next to Young Americans, it's so yeah much of a contrast. Oh boy! Really? And just quickly again. Um... To the point of Bowie just being an amazing judge of talent and a great listener, he's doing a cover of Bruce Springsteen on pinups like years before mm-hmm. Bruce blew up. Just he Are was you always yeah. he was he always had his ear out for the the next thing, and he was always ahead of the game. Just every interview I see him have, he's always talking about like in '77. He's like, "Watch out for Devo!" Like he's always just like one step ahead of of what's. You know the next thing that's gonna pop. What song did he do from uh, Springsteen? Uh, he did "Growing Up," which it's an interesting cover. Lots of uh, warbly tremolo. He he somehow managed in that same album to do a weirder version of "See Emily Play" by Pink Floyd. Yeah, I oh, saw yeah, that. Yeah. See Emily Play. Wait, wait. What's wait? Uh, is that song Thomas on pinups? Because I'm not seeing "Grown Up" on on pin. Growing up uh, should be on pinups, or maybe it's a B side. If I just associated with yeah, it. Yeah, if it's not on pinups, he definitely covered it in general. He, I think he might have covered it around the time of Young Americans. But there's a story of like Bruce himself coming to see him do the cover and being real shy about it because he didn't come into prominence quite yet. Yeah. yeah. Now here, yeah. well, quick question: So, uh, are all the lyrics yeah. leading up to Ziggy Stardust, like all the albums before, are they all very personal stuff? And then when he does Ziggy Stardust, he takes on like a new character and he continues that character for the next three albums. Is that is that the case? Or he no? never did anything personal. He's he just so getting the psychoanalysis a little bit. It's like the last thing he ever wanted to do was open up to you about who he truly was as a person. That's like the last thing David Bowie wanted to do in his lyrics, even from the beginning. Even from the Pretty beginning, much. it's always so. Like space stuff is going on with the moon landing. I'll I'll sing about that. Or uh, the man who sold the world is just inspired by his like brief research into Buddhism. Or he he always has to have some other topic, some other character, some other point of view. He says that he he collects these kind of things. He just collects voices okay. and ideas, and it's anything but himself, or mm-hmm. at least in this period. I was gonna say that that was a hallmark until much later in life. He would continue that up. Yeah, yeah. 
So what Ziggy Stardust was, was it was finally f- perfectly focused and primed to get him okay. mass attention. Everything before that, it, it, he kind of he's gone off in these scattered, different, interesting directions, but it wasn't right. thematically whole and like perfectly packaged the way Ziggy was. So then that got him all the attention, and then um, he had a, a flair for getting publicity. You know, he came out in 1972 saying "I'm gay," which that that was a big deal back then. That that was a pretty mm. important thing. When did Elton When did Elton say it that he was gay? I want to say it was a lot later, like mid to late 80s. It yeah. was it was pretty late, and it, it, it's interesting because they kind of they kind of mirror themselves because Elton, I think, at first came out as like bisexual, and then he came out as gay. And I think Bowie yeah. came out as gay and then ruled it back to bisexual and then ruled it back to vicarious, <laughs> which is uh, interesting, but yeah. So he he blows up with Ziggy. We're, we're going to get to Young American Stock specifically in a, in a sec here. I hope I'm not disappointing any listeners. But <laughs> So Ziggy hits big. Then you got Aladdin Sane, which I, I happen to like even more than Ziggy. Um, I like both, but just I, I really like Aladdin Sane. I like a lot of those songs. Um then you get to Diamond Dogs, and the other thing kind of going on here is musically, Mick Ronson is totally his right-hand man, along with Tony Visconti. Like, a lot of the quality of the sound of Ziggy Stardust is Mick Ronson, um, and maybe he's getting his due more and more, or whatever. During his life, he, he kind of fell into obscurity, it seems, but... Like, you know, the strings, the string arrangement and um, the guitar sound, especially the guitar sound, like uh, some very defining feature, of uh, defining features of those albums is Mick Ronson. And then you get to Diamond Dogs in 74. And in that sense, things are kind of falling apart and starting to shift a little bit. Uh, because you have songs like Rebel Rebel, which uh, is just more of that, sound like it's it's led by that heavily distorted guitar riff super catchy uh but then you got like 1984 and some other stuff that's starting to go in this new unexplored territory and uh, i don't think uh mick ronson could follow and not to uh say that to the detriment of mick ronson but bowie was clearly by diamond dogs he was starting to feel around for the next thing like the you know the you get a whiff of him planning to leave glam rock. Uh, so then mm-hmm. he meet. I mean, several things happen. He meets Carlos Alomar, which I think becomes his next Mick Ronson. Like he was, this, Alomar essentially became the band leader, and he's he's the one who came up with the fame riff. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. So it's like. There's, it's, it's almost like there's Ronson Bowie and then there's Alomar Bowie. And Alomar follows him at least through, what, the Scary Monsters and Super Creeps? Uh, yes. Something like that. He, he's mistaken. like the, the second half of the 70s is, is Alomar dominated. Um, mm-hmm. And I know it falls out slightly with Berlin Trilogy because then he gets Eno and everyone over there. But then I believe, yeah, he comes back with... Yeah, yeah, then... Mm-hmm. And Blue, Adrian Blue comes in and all that, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, he, I mean, Bowie always needs a right-hand man, and depending on who that person is, or several right-hand men, and depending on who they are and how that changes, the sound totally changes with it. Um, so you got that going on. Also, by 74, he's he's blowing up more and more, Bowie is, and uh, the cocaine takes over uh, big time. <laughs> In 74? And by 74, yeah. yeah. A big, (laughs) big issue. Just cocaine. I don't know if you saw any, um, well, not even, so that's the other thing. It's not even like he's partying. Uh, I I saw this interesting thing. Iggy Pop is talking about uh, knowing Bowie around this time, or he he calls him David. (laughs) So David, maybe he's talking about 75, 76, those years, but he's working around the clock all day, every day between going to gigs and then like studying new music that's coming out and like connecting with people afterward and then like jam sessions at four in the morning. Okay. Sleep for like three hours. And then he's, he's, he's the hardest, he's one of the hardest working men in show business and it was starting to kill him. 
he's 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 so busy re- releasing all this stuff and do, and doing all these shows and trying to cement his legacy. He loses what probably like forty yeah. pounds. He's he's skin and bones. He was like nine around the time this out. By when? By 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 what? By, well, start definitely starting in seventy four, and then you if you see promotional footage of him with the getting the word out about uh, the Young Americans album. Uh, to quote Jackie Childs from Seinfeld, the man's a goblin. <laughs> like he, it makes me physically uncomfortable to look at him. He's like eighty pounds. He's dressed awesome. He looks cool, aside from the fact that he's dying. Uh, he's he's on the Dick Cavett show. He's a total addled mm-hmm. mess on there. Still cool somehow, but just like he is not the same man from a year or two prior. He's going through changes. Tell me about it. I got another uh, Carlos Alomar quote actually relating to that when from when they yeah. first met. It says, I invited him to come to my house because he was just 98 pounds and I'm thinking, uh, and I'm talking about very translucent white skin. So he just looked like, you need a home-cooked meal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Now, was Young Americans a big hit? Yeah, it, it, was, was... it was big. It, was, it really was part of getting people to check out his, his back catalog more. And Fame, his first uh, mm-hmm. number one single, he's working with uh, John yep. Lennon himself. So how did he get – and, dude, John, like, John's sprinkled in this Bang. album, right? Like, I read mm-hmm. the news today, oh, boy, and Young Americans. He's covering across the universe. Yeah. Fame, he's, you know, he co-wrote it. Right? Didn't yep. John, like, co-wrote, co-write Fame? Uh, he did the reverse – he said he was responsible for the reverse piano, which that's a pretty big part of that song. And he's singing back – he's singing the Fame, like, the backup vocals and mm-hmm. stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. That's John, right? John, yeah. So how did – David get hooked up with John Lennon. They met at a party held by Elizabeth Taylor. Oh my god, I just froze. Where do they meet? Me? They met Where at what? Tell me. They they met at a party held by Where Elizabeth they, Taylor. Uh, not to know? Met, uh, like not to not to cut too much into Thomas's. I know at this point because my Lennon history is mildly stunted, but this is when he was in LA and New York in general. So right about now he was releasing. Right about now he was releasing Mind Games. So he was on that kind of a gig. But oh, Thomas is back. Yeah, Joe had my back <laughs> on that one. Froze up for a sec. Because uh, this was like, and I don't, you might know more about this, Thomas, than I, because my Beatles history is spotty, believe it or not. But um, this is his lost weekend period I read a lot of from John Lennon, and I, I don't know a lot about that. Yeah, oh. so John Lennon was living in New York City for a while. Uh, and then... Um, I think he was not ready to totally settle down. I'm, this is all guesswork, but I think at some point Yoko was like, Jesus Christ, John, just, all right, go out to LA. Yeah, you can hook up with that lady working for you, Mei Pang. Like, as long as I know who you're sleeping around with, like, if I know them, that's a little bit better. Go get your jollies out in LA for however, however long you need to do that, like, drink do blow whatever get it out of your system we're this, we're having a separation period here and uh but john lennon did record an album out there too and he produced a harry nelson album he wasn't exactly a total slob but it was this period uh he he was joined the hollywood vampire club him and like you know troublemakers like keith moon mm. and ringo and uh, John was in this period of his life where I think he was, uh, you know, it was his version of a midlife crisis, maybe. He, he was just in L.A. for a while, get, getting up to no good, occasionally working yeah. on this or that. Uh, and then part of that was uh, briefly collaborating with Bowie. And um, I really like what uh, he does on the, the song Fame. I like his, his touches on that. He's kind of felt like behind the scenes. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say Across the Universe, I think that cover is totally garish and gross, and I wish they took it out and replaced it uh, with Who Can I Be Now instead. It, I, it, I don't need to hear a Beatles it's... cover on this album, but that's just me. Man, if I... <laughs> I wasn't crazy about it. If either. I had to put a put a word on most of Bowie's covers, it would be garish. And I think I just got I got used to yeah. it over time to the point where I'm like, okay, this is just the way that he does covers. But it's definitely, yeah. I when I heard stuff like um, the two songs that they bumped out, I know you mentioned one, and I forget off the top of my head because I only heard them for the first time recently. Um, Could it be me? And yeah. uh, I forget what the set. Oh, it's yeah. gonna be me. 
and who can I be? Yeah. yeah. Apparently, I... Which, did he take those out because he's nervous about talking about himself? Like, oh boy, God forbid you betray any personal That's what details. I heard, too, that it was, that they were too personal, so, right. so they busted, so they cut them out. Even though they're, they're still very vague songs. Yeah. Dude, David must have been like so over the moon that he was hanging out with John. Oh Lennon. yeah, like he he sprink he sprinkled John all over yep. his album. Oh yeah, um, apparently he he thought they were just going to keep getting on famously forever and ever, and they were going to be best friends. But you know what happened? Wasn't, well, uh, Lennon moved back to New York. Bowie was in Berlin, and then goddamn Mark David Chapman mm. is what happened. Oh, okay. I, I guess I was referring to like seventy six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Bo, Bowie skipped town, which is a whole other yeah. story. He he got the hell out of L.A. in America for for a good while. Um, but yeah, this is this is a very just brief, kind of fantastical, famous uh, period going on here. Seventy four, seventy five in L.A. Even though only part of this album's recorded in L.A. Also, like a lot a lot of this was in uh, either New York, Philadelphia, the Apollo Theater. Did, did did fame do really well like because Lennon was in it like his name was on it uh who knows i think it was just popular james brown himself ripped off fame like made a new, made another song a little bit later that like sounds like fame like that's how mm-hmm. good and funky the song is is james brown is stealing from you i think that says something wow it's so good fame is my it's it is. Yeah. Such a great I, song. I think it's my favorite song on the album and just like it's my favorite by far. <laughs> I love it. And the moment where it's it's in the beginning where the you know you got the riff going, but like the third time he does it, where the bass pattern changes, so it's like suddenly it feels like the song is like stomping mm-hmm. on itself, like yeah, dum, 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 like the the rhythmic feel. I mean, that's what makes this album is the people playing on it. It sounds so good. And the intro, I love the intro too. Yeah, it's like it sounds like a serious song, and then it's just like, "What's going on?" Okay, it's the coolest thing. And the lyrics are great. I mean, it's just it. I feel like it's a great encapsulation of the like Hollywood BS Mm -hmm. life that that he was seeing at that time. And it's it's just like that right edge of like that that right combination of like edgy and cynical and kind of like you know, blinded by stardom and, and like dark. And I, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Wow. I love the title track. That might be the, the other one that I, I, I mean, I, I guess those are the two songs that most people yeah. like, but the song young Americans itself is pretty fascinating. Yeah. What's, what's interesting is like, I feel like I don't listen to a lot of this album. I listen to a lot of it for the podcast, of course, but my, for the most part for me, it was an album of basically three songs, which was, Young Americans, Right, and Fame. Like, because I think Right is actually probably my favorite out of the album, but, and sometimes, right? And it's, and it's because of that, what you talked about earlier, the whole, like, dinner, sometimes, sometimes. Yep. With our top tier impersonations when we built off of each other just then. Um, but I mean, yeah, if I like when you di- when you dive into it, it's a it's a really solid like track list, just because of all those wonderfully talented musicians that he has on them. It was recorded at Electric Lady Studios in NYC. Part of part of it, January yeah. seventy five. Yeah, part of it was yeah. Uh, that I think that's where mm-hmm. her fame happened. Um, yeah, it's like uh, it doesn't sound like a imitation of other R&B or funk albums that uh, at least that I happen to be familiar with from this era. Like it doesn't sound like a Marvin Gaye ripoff mm. or something like it's, it's, it's in that right. world, but it's still, it has a just particularly like glossy otherworldly quality to it at the same time, I guess just due to the nature of all the different people collaborating. But, um, yeah, the production. I, I don't know if you were really getting into that production, Dan. Like the just the sound of the drums and everything, the way the bass oh, flows. Dude, and... The whole album. It just like everything just sounds so alive and just. It's the album sounds excellent. <laughs> yeah, it's that analog, that seventies analog. Just best studios in the seventies just made that amazing alive sound. It's it sounds like a time cap, like a time capsule sort mm. of deal like just yeah. a perfect 
summation of a lot of the trends going on, specifically in the mid-70s. But then because it's Bowie, it has a weird, unique bent to it. Uh, yeah. His vocals are so different here, at least to my ears, than anything else he's done. And it doesn't he doesn't sound like he's copying a soul singer. It sounds like his own weird spin on that somehow. What are all your yeah. thoughts on Bowie's voice? Like, it could be in this album in particular or in general. I feel like his vocal deliveries yeah. are, like, just from various friends that I've gotten into Bowie or introduced Bowie to, they've had a lot of different takes on his vocal qualities and, like, his vocal delivery. I'm curious what you all think about, what you all think about it. What do you think, Dan? Is this, is, is this album his prime? No, no, no. I feel no, like this no, album no. must be, like, no, not his vocal prime? So, well, just a brief tangent... His voice totally changed in 74, probably due to all the cocaine use. Uh, his register changed. Like, he he got this super raspy thing going on. Like, if you watch that Dick Cavett performance and interview, he sounds like a, he sounds and looks like a totally different person than two years earlier or two years later. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he, had, he lost uh, part of his register probably. Drugs, for sure. Um, which I think might be another factor of why he wanted to do this kind of music, because he might... He might have been like, oh, I sing this way now, so if this is how I sing, this kind of music will well, suit how my voice sounds because now. It, he sounds so good in this he, album. It's, it's, it's perfectly tailored to what he's doing, yeah. But it's, uh, it's I mean, it's, it's, it's taste in terms of whether that's him at his height because it's just, a t- it's like when Bob Dylan sang like Kermit the Frog for Nashville Skyline. Like it's just a totally different kind of vocal delivery. Yeah, he actually had have another Bowie quote too on just the raspiness. Uh, he says, "My it was definitely the drug problems," and this is apparently from an interview in two thousand six, saying, "My drug problems were playing havoc with my voice, producing a really raspy sound that I fought all the time with when I wanted to sing yeah. high, swooping into falsetto and such." So, yeah, so he like lost all that for this album, pretty much. Yeah, but he still sounds fan freaking tastic. Mm-hmm. I think. And and he's a huge part of why this works. He sells it. I mean, he's everything he sings on. He sells some songs. He just sounds like I'm like whoa. Yeah. Like fascin. Uh, was it fascination or right or something? Or he he just like I was pleasantly surprised. Listen, I was like because I didn't really know this album. Yeah. I'm, I'm like here. I'm like whoa. Like you sound great because sometimes I don't really like his voice. Yeah. It's a little <laughs> too like yeah. sometimes actory. But like in this album, he, he yeah yes and. He has some. He just sounds so good in this album. I really like it. And Ziggy Stardust does he sing a lot higher or something? At like points. like a sweeter. I'd say as yeah. general, like on average, like his bass, his bass level is is pretty high. I think this is like one of my favorite things about Bowie vocals in general is when he swoops into that like lower, almost baritone voice. Like I think he yeah. he holds that very well. And I, this was like one of his first times really yeah. just living in that area. Like yeah, fascination when. Like oh, you got to do, and yeah, yeah. Um, a win, yeah, yeah. Someone like you should not be allowed to start any <laughs> files. Yes. He's singing. He yeah. it's it's a totally unique kind of vocal delivery because a lot of times he's kind of singing like in between notes or there there's so much variance and it sounds like or just improvise, but you realize it's probably super tightly mm-hmm. rehearsed, which is fascinating to me. Uh, how do you like at the end of Fascination when he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like he's doing this weird yeah. falsetto. Like, the end of oh, Fascination yeah. is awesome. It, Fascination's cool because it's like a it's like a funky, jazzy kind of song, yeah. but it's got that, it's got that classic chord progression. Yeah. It's got one to flat seven to flat six, which is like Stairway to Heaven, all on the yeah, Watchtower. Yeah. Like that—that's just the epic sounding chord progression. And when you put that in like kind of funky jazzy music, and, and it just like it was cool. It was really cool. You can't beat that opening. And he riff. sounds so good. Yeah. Bum, 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 a lot bum, of the outros, a lot of the outros in the, in this album are like really nice. Yeah. They take their time. Like somebody up there likes me. The end of somebody like the mm-hmm. outro is so good. I love young, young Americans is funny. It's like it's like so big in gospel, but the lyrics are just like all night. Like she was, a, yeah. it's all about like she was this young girl <laughs> all night. It's like all these background voices, and then it's like I read the news. Yeah, today. yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's fun when that comes in. Uh, yeah. What do you think of the Young American? Well, first of all, I'll say 
it's difficult to make out a lot of the lyrics. Fair. If yeah. you start singing fast, it's like you got to, at least in my case, mm-hmm. I got to read them. I just, I, I pick out certain moments that I'm like, ooh, I like that. But it's, uh, yeah. the song Young Americans, what did you guys make of the lyrics there? I loved it. I mean, I, I think every single time, look it up. Uh, every single time the song comes on, I wait for like the last quarter of it. Um, cause I feel like his vocals kick yeah. in with the, you ain't a pimp and you ain't a hustler. And pimps got yeah, a yeah, yeah, yeah. and a lady's got a Chrysler. Um, like that's, I feel like when he gets into the full groove and then of course he has the whole band drop out for ain't that one damn song that can no, make me that can make me break down and cry yeah and then comes right back in what the hell's with the line ain't there a woman right? i can suck on the jaw <laughs> what what's that doing there oh man uh it's it? like right it? before that there's like and there are a woman i can suck on the jaw ain't, yeah. ain't there a child i can hold without judging yeah oh my god i had no idea she said to suck on the jaw Sock on the jaw. It's so interesting. I want the young America. I thought he was saying she was a young America. He's saying all, all the sort night. of stuff. No, she she wants a young all American. Night. Okay. <laughs> so I, I have kind of a theory uh, that about what's kind of running in this in this album a bit is, you know, Bowie's changing his sound. He's 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 collaborating with totally new people. Uh, Carlos Alomar. Luther Vandross, uh, he's spending time in Philly. He seemed to, in this period, and then through the rest of his life, really, but like, who, who's, who's he connecting with? Who's he wanting to work with? It's like a lot of like people of color in America. I feel like there was this interest and this, this desire on his part to like connect with like people who, who weren't represented as much in America, especially at that time. And like, he's trying to, I mean, what I'm thinking of is, is the wonderful, uh, clip, uh, from, I think it's the early eighties where he's talking to some rep from NTV and kind of challenging him. Like, why are you not showing music videos like Michael Jackson's more? Why are you like kind of catering to, you're kind of engaging in racism basically, and really kind of tackles the guy head on in that. And I, I feel like that was a big part if I have to guess, I feel like that was kind of becoming really important to Bowie and like the minority experience in America. And I feel like a lot of the lyrics on young Americans are touching on that. And I feel like he's, he's not coming out and being super overt about it, but I feel like that was probably becoming more and more important to him at this time and why he wanted to do this mm-hmm. kind of music too. Yeah, he definitely connected with that entire audience and brought it in. And I mean, I think to do it at that level, you have to have an understanding and respect. And like he said, he let the musicians do, you know, their own work because he knew that they would be able to do it the best. Right. So I think it just kind of went hand in hand as he delved into there. But um, And then his his, no, his fashion. Carlos, and his, right? This guy's name's Carlos. Carlos, yeah. So Carlos was, was really tight with him. And you, you look at Bowie's fashion by this point, um, He's he's basically dressing like uh, you know somebody who would be in a black exploitation movie, but like doing it in yeah, a really sure. cool like reverent way. I don't know. Um, his appearance on Soul Train is so cool. Were music videos were music videos a thing in the seventies? Faintly. Yeah, kind of. Kinda. I think he would have been I, like big. He would have been huge on music videos if they were a he, thing, right? Yeah, he did some videos earlier too. I know he did retro. I think retroactive videos for things like Life on Mars and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, I think a lot of the stuff now too was also just live footage of him, um, as opposed to like full videos. But yeah, I know I know there's a video for Fame floating around somewhere, uh, which I haven't seen in years. But again, though, footage of him from this time, he looks. Like he's about to die. He looks like a terrible mess. And he kind of put a little bit of weight back on and got it a little bit together for the thin white Duke period, which just aesthetically is kind of his, his coolest look, I think. But he doesn't, he was in a desperate dire straits. If if you look at him visually, I just feel like I, I keep getting reports from multiple multiple sources that at some point, I think it's after Young Americans, after Young Americans, about the time of Stays in the Station, yeah. uh, there's reports of him just living off of milk, red peppers, yep. cocaine, and cigarettes. 
Like that's all he yeah. ate, drank, and big bell peppers got super and milk mm-hmm. and cigarettes. That's all you need. Yep. So he like nearly died, huh? Yep. Oh yeah. Multiple overdoses happened too, and overdoses really? He was yeah. doing, and I I don't know. I think I read this in a book forever ago. You never know what things are true or not, but just his lifestyle was he'd get the right combination of amphetamines and cocaine and, all right, maybe some milk or peppers when his stomach could, like, barely tolerate it, and then he'd want to stay up for a week and just push himself as far as he could go and then, you know, crash and then start right back up again. Like, geez, what is that? how does that warp your mind to live like that, mm-hmm. even for a month? Did he have, like, a partner at all? Well, Ava, he was dating Ava Cherry, allegedly. Uh, I think that if I'm to just read into the information available, I think that was his his closest uh, thing to like a romantic partner for a while. Mm-hmm. At the time, too, though, he was also just very secluded because yeah. the cocaine fueled his paranoia. Like I saw a video clip of him in a, I don't know if it was a limo or just a car that someone had, and he was literally just like looking over his shoulders like, do you think someone's following yeah. us or like? Um, and so he would just like hold himself up with the, you know, the cigarettes, the peppers, the milk and the cocaine. And yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I saw a clip. He's in a limo just talking about the, you get a sense of unease and kind of seeping. I mean, he sounded a little more coherent, but like, you know, seeping evil in this, this town of Los Angeles. I'm like, well, you are on to something, <laughs> but you also look like you need a full course meal and take a nap. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Wow. So did he, does he get healthy? Does he get healthy by like heroes or by low? Or by what? by low, he, well, what it happened, I mean, and that's kind of the next period, the chapter of the Bowie story is he talks to Iggy Pop. He says, let's get the hell out of here. This is poison. Mm-hmm. They move to Berlin. They try to get clean. He puts a little more weight on by like 77 hero, heroes period. He looks great. So he, he gets mm-hmm. himself out of it. But this is we're seventy seventy four seventy five. He's he's in the the thick of it in L A. Lifestyle wise. Yeah, I imagine low was a tough time for like an album name like that. Right. Well, that was the first of the trilogy, if I'm not yep, mistaken. Yep. The, the trilogy in general, like, was what brought him back because he got out of L A. And I know even later on in life, he was like, L A. is a terrible place. You should never go there if you're a musician. Or he, he <laughs> classifies that, um, that as at least or quantifies it as you know hollywood i I don't want to disrespect the rest of la but he got into the heart of the the you know the evil entertainment industry and people were taking advantage of him and the way that the industry there worked it like he cites that as the main reason why he was driven to the work style which driven to the drugs which was the vicious cycle which was broken then when he left the country and then yeah so i mean thank god he did no he, he easily could have just passed um, terrible mm-hmm. to think about. Here's a fact for you, Dan. Uh, so I was, I was watching another thing. You can tell I've been watching a lot of stuff recently here. I watched a thing with uh, Ken Scott, his engineer back in England, who did like Ziggy Stardust and other stuff, just famous, classic, well-renowned engineer. Uh, and he's like, the deal Bowie had was 50% ball revenue, 50% right away. That went to his manager, Tony Defries who he parted ways with, again, when he split off to Europe. And then at that other 50%, any expenses to do what he did, so like the tour and all that crazy stuff, that got deducted from Bowie's 50%. So what was he left with? He was broke when he moved to Europe. Like all the, mm-hmm. Despite becoming a huge star and the number ones and all, he, he had nothing to show for it financially. Oh. Um, yeah. It's he crazy had to such think. a prolific 70s. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Sort of Elton. crazy string albums. Yeah, Elton too, as mm-hmm. we as we talked about. Pink, Pink Floyd too. Uh, how, how was uh? Well, never mind. I have some, a bunch of questions, but it's co- so cool to see that Let's Dance. He like got another huge hit. Let's oh, Dance yeah. in '83. Yeah, and then he he got into acting a lot more by then. You know, Labyrinth is a classic. Oh man, I never saw Labyrinth. Dance Magic Dance. Oh, you got to put that on your list. Is it great? It, it yeah. holds up. Yeah, it's pretty great. It holds up. It's really okay. Bowie's, Bowie's fantastic in it too. I mean, every yeah, Jennifer Connelly, the, the all the the puppets. Mm-hmm. And then he did Under Pressure in what, like eighty four? I think that was eighty one. Yeah, he just had a little one off collaboration with Queen. You know, in the midst of everything else. Mm-hmm. It's a busy guy. It's a really hardworking guy. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he he stayed relevant for the yeah. most part, right? Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, he was touring with Nine Inch uh, Nails. Man, let me tell you. Yeah, so like I didn't know if we were going to do the the favorite albums by him, but my second, my number two album, sometimes flirts into number one is one from the '90s or maybe late '80s. It's his uh, album Outside. Interesting. Um, I love Outside so much. My favorite, as a side note, is Scary Monster and Super Scary, scary Monsters. And Monsters. That's a good one. I love that album so much. That's your favorite album? It's my favorite David Bowie, yeah. David Bowie album. Wow, cool. It's my number one. Number two, though. It's Tony Visconti's favorite. It's so good. Uh, and then number two is Outside, uh, which is just, again, such an interesting tonal change to like this grungy style. When's that? Um, that's. Like early 90s, I, I think. I want to say it's. Yeah, early 90s, because he was working with Nine Inch Nails, and then after that, he did Earthling, which had, like, a drum and bass kick on it for a lot of the songs, yeah. so he dipped into He's that. He's always looking for the next sound. He's always looking for, mm-hmm. the, like, the new wave of creative, intelligent people coming in. I mean, it also helps that he's one of the most cordial, polite, humble, thoughtful, brilliant like people in rock music just as a personality it's always like soothing and super interesting to hear him talk he was never like super egotistical and like well i think when the cocaine had his way with him who knows which is yeah i was gonna another side note is i think the reason the thin white duke is such a cool character and just kind of alluring i feel like the thin white duke is bowie's ego and vanity and in darkness taking him over like that's it's like mm-hmm. if bowie just let his dark side win he would be this cold calculating manipulative suave you know european vampire kind of dude mm-hmm. but sorry i keep cutting you off joe I've, I've really been talkative today oh no you're fine i mean you're hitting most of the points that i that i'm gonna hit anyway so you're cool yeah wow. but sometimes it's interesting to hear other people hit those points <laughs> <laughs> he has so many albums uh. <laughs> Yeah, because I know I know for just to to jump off. No, yeah, his album, his discography is huge, and all those have like especially later on different genres. Um, but to talk on Then My Duke for a moment, like that's when I know. Uh, man, did, have you heard the? Have, do either you know the whole scandal about like dipping into fascism for a moment from Bowie? No. Yeah, that that was after Young Americans, right? That was like the That was that was Thin Young Duke. Or excuse, excuse me, Thin White Duke. Yeah, Cuz like station, he got so lost so. into the character that like was this evil like you said narcissistic character that like he started looking into fascism like to get into character, but he was also so riddled and out of his mind with drugs that it just kind of blurred the lines and then later he was like, "Yeah, no, I was not he uh, I know at one point he said he doesn't even remember recording a lot of Station to Station because he was so out of it. Um, So that was definitely, I would say Station to Station was probably the height of cocaine-filled excess and issues. But Yeah, this this, this album kind of ramps up to that. Yeah. Yeah. We get a little feel of that. But it definitely comes to a head then and then thankfully evens out when he gets to Mm -hmm. the Berlin Trilogy. Yeah, yeah. No, he's... Another thing about him, though, is he's so dead. He's hilarious also. I just His comedic style is amazing to me, like his cameo on the, the mm-hmm. show Extras and stuff. He is such a deadpan, sarcastic uh, comedic delivery and, like, sense of humor. I think another problem might be is he starts, you know, looking up stuff about fascism, and he's still, like, he doesn't take it seriously in his heart of hearts, but, it, you know... People can misconstrue what you're doing. Like, are you talking as you, or mm-hmm. you? so? I think he started to realize, like, hey, I gotta be careful about how I present myself, even if I know I'm still joking, or I'm not, or yeah. if I'm being facetious. It's not, you know, and I gotta be careful is, about my public image here. Yeah, the thing is, then too, and it's also again an issue of like not realizing retroactively, because now we could look back and be like, he was huge ever since Ziggy Stardust, but Ziggy Stardust is very much like a cult movement when it yeah. happened. And like we mentioned, fame and Young Americans was the first time he got thrust into the limelight, like on a huge scale. So now all of a sudden, paparazzi is a lot larger on him, and he's got to be more careful with, with his, with his uh, decisions like that, which again isn't also helped either by the fact that he's addled out of his mind on cocaine. But He never, yeah, um, yeah. he was never knighted, huh? Was he not? Weird. 
Also, oh, you know what? He wouldn't huh. be into that crap anyway. No. Yeah, he probably. He's the British Empire, the royal family. He was. See, I think that's another thing about Bowie is is that idea of this like, this one idea that if if you're cemented in British culture and the, and thinking that that's like the most important thing ever and that's just so just you know dominates our society, he was all about no that doesn't matter any more than what's going on in Mali versus what's going on in Philadelphia versus what's going on in Japan. Like, I think he was really big into just we're all people and nothing is sacred. And, you know, I just, Mm. I can go into this new situation and have my spin on whatever is going on. And, and he's quoted as saying like, you know, I wanted to do something like young Americans because I never wanted to be pinned down. And, and, uh, I have this ideology that like nothing is truly real. Like we can just kind of play with any ideas or, or elements of culture. Uh, so it's. I don't think you go for the you know, Britannia rules the waves sort of stuff. Yeah, the the pomp and circumstance of a knighthood. Yeah. For the sake of it. Basically. So where does the name Bowie come from? Because his name is David Robert Jones. Uh, it's it's a kind of knife. I think he just saw the the, the word and thought it was cool. Yeah, I think there was a legend behind there too, which I'm not 100 percent sure of, but. Like like tied to the knife. But, it's a type of knife. Yeah, it was definitely a Bowie knife. I think you might also come down to a Bowie knife, but spelled the same way. Well, I feel like we kind of should have called this the the David Bowie episode because you know there's so much to dig into here. It really, just shows oh, you man. how interesting and thoughtful an artist he was. Um, well, what's yeah? No, go go ahead. I was going to say, what's interesting about Young Americans, too, is that it's definitely, when I was doing my research for it, it took me a little while to find a deep dive into it, because people are always like, there's Diamond Dogs and there's Young Americans, and then there's Station to Station, and then there's the Berlin Trilogy, which, it's definitely an album that exists in the middle of a lot of other albums, but that's, part of that is because, like, you need to, you, like, knowing all the context, like we've been talking about for most of the podcast helps you build up and really appreciate young Americans even more just for what it is and things like, Oh, before now he was kind of just following trends and now he's doing his own thing or like, Oh, well after you have things that are continuations of this. But I think a lot of people who then look at young Americans as like this throwaway album or this transition album, don't realize that with it being a transition album, that also means that it's a catalyst album. You know what I mean? Like this is it, it like, People say transition, but they should be saying like launch pad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Good yeah. point. So, excellent point. Yeah, I I feel like th- there's Bowie albums where it seems like he's looking for the next thing, and then there's Bowie albums where it feels like he's arrived. Um, mm-hmm. and I know Diamond Dogs is a beloved Bowie album. It's still seventies Bowie, so it's 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 got some goods. But I feel like Diamond Dogs is kind of becomes like a confused spotty mess and he's not sure what he's supposed to do next and Young Americans at least feels confident as in like I'm really I'm doing this now and this is kind of my statement and where I'm at in my artistry and this you know I feel like it's it's like solid and consistent and I do appreciate it for that even if I'm not always in the mood to hear this bizarre take on 70s R&B music. Yo, so 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 Young Americans is like very like gospel like R&B, right? It's soulful, it's jazzy, it's funky, right? How is st- how is Station to Station, like the very next album? Do I have? Oh, I have the whole trilogy here. Wow. Joe is revealing one LP after another. Wow. I love your record collection. Uh it it's it takes that kind of soul sound and makes it like cold and stiff and robotic and european but uh and but still yeah. awesome like there's little touches yeah there's like little touches back with like yeah. golden years which sounds like it would could could like live on young americans but like the title track even has like i don't know if it's a full train sound but like just the opening riffs sound like you said very cold and mechanical um it's the thin white duke period you, know, so. you might like uh, station to station mm-hmm. even more dan it, it is kind of more its own sound and it, it is regarded as like one of his best For sure. but 
Yeah, young Americans. I know it, uh, this podcast has gone long and I keep droning on and on. But uh, yeah, what are kind of your guys' final thoughts on you know, either just the, the pure sound of it and the, and the songs or like the, the context and where it sits in, uh, in Bowie's catalog? It was so cool to learn about the context, the context of where it sits. But um, and thank you guys for all that knowledge. That was great. Um, awesome album, really, really cool album, and great sound. He sounds awesome. I didn't know that his voice was somewhat limited from his drug use, but um, he made the best of Definitely. it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, L- Lennon's my favorite, so it's just great to see Lennon sprinkled throughout it. I was so happy to hear. I, re- I heard that. I think he says, "I heard the news today." Oh boy, is it? I heard or I read? I uh, heard the news today. I believe. I heard. Yeah, I heard. And um, yeah. Great moments, great outros, and he sounds awesome. The background vocals are yeah. sweet, and the whole sound of it all is just so beautiful and alive. I always say that word when it comes to like analog tape yeah. in the 70s, but it just Warm. sounds so alive and just so great. Warm, yeah. yeah, I think the importance of the backing vocals can't be understated. Like that's They're, they're carrying half yeah. of the songs, <laughs> pretty much, in Absolutely. every case. Seriously. Is it a group of them? Is it like a, is it like a like who, who is it? Looks like we got Warren Peace. I have the vinyl. Warren Peace, Diane Summer, and Luther Vandross. And then some other ones just for, like, there's some ones that were just on fame. Like, they credit John Lennon, of course. But Yep. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, I'm glad we but did But, yeah, they album. definitely form the backbone of that. And, I mean, you hear them so prominently in every song. Yeah, they, I mean, again, to, to almost rap on a bow, Bowie's usage of great musicians around him he was never afraid to yeah. let them showcase their own skill and kind of build off of that through his own filter and it's definitely Absolutely. to his great benefit so uh like paul simon he's just he's a great listener and he just must be a very excellent collaborator he brings the best out of other musicians mm. all right friends we got it all right guys I'm surprised you're still here. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to all of that. I really hope you enjoyed it. Hope you found it interesting. I look forward to coming back next week. We're either going to be talking about East by Joanna Newsom or Odyssey and Oracle by the Zombies. Not sure which yet, but it should be great. See you later. Bye-bye.